And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves being forced to use pantomime. Hi, folks, and uh, welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm awfully glad to be here. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And you know something? I keep hearing reports back. Of course, I go back and forth from the mainland to the island here of Milleronia, and I know that in Southern California, it's been pretty hot, but our weather here on Milleronia is beautiful. It's it's perfect, frankly. It's now true, true, we can control our own weather here. We don't use it for an evil purpose, but I decide, I get the reports every day, and I decide what the temperature will be and what the sky will look like, and I'm a pretty good judge of that. True, every so often, I like them to mold the clouds into pint glasses sometimes not all the time sometimes it's a martini glass but uh you know what the weather is beautiful here we have such a gorgeous island and I'm, i'm very grateful for it and in any case it's a happy day here on milleronia and always more so because of that great band that great orchestra playing our great theme song that i love so much and colonel jeff loves so much. That's the Gill Westfall Orchestra and the Annabella Rua Dancers featuring boy tenor Jim Broderick asking the musical question, if the shoe fits, must we wear it? Well, Jim, first of all, that's a terrific question. I never even knew what that meant. If the shoe fits, when, whether as a kid or an adult, the old saying is, if the shoe fits, wear it. I I don't think I ever knew what it meant, and I don't think I knew what it means now, but I'll tell you in a second. First of all, I want to say thank you and congratulations to Gil Westfall. Now, he wrote in to us when I was talking about, you may remember a couple of episodes ago, how great bar names are, and they are. They're just terrific. A lot of bar names are just wonderful. They're very creative. Sometimes... They're witty, and they, they just make it extra fun going into a bar. I remember some from my area growing up. Uh, Dan Coakley's Colony Rest and Bar, which, again, I just a terrific name. And uh, another one with just the word rendezvous. It was called rendezvous, and uh, which in French, I believe, means a rendezvous, a meeting. You mean there, but but it's like a romantic meeting, isn't it? a rendezvous, and you come there with a very pretty woman, and she's glad to see you, and you're, you're glad to see her. Or it could be an assassin. It could be a death meeting. Well, it could be both, I suppose, couldn't it? But in any case, uh, Gil Westfall wrote in, because one of the names I remembered from my youth was always going past, it was near the train station, Don and John's Third Base Bar. And I always thought that was a cool name. I didn't know what it meant. Well, that Don and John's third base bar. I was assumed there's a Don, there's a John, and they were big baseball fans, and uh, 
Hey, you get up, how do you like that? You get a hit, you right out, you're on third base. You're doing really well. And, uh, or it's something romantic again. Hey, how was your date last night? I got to third base. I'm not even sure what that means, by the way. I don't, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But in any case, you didn't, I guess you didn't get all the way. They could call that Don and John's all the way bar. But in any case, Gil wrote us and we're very grateful. It's a terrific answer. He wrote in answering the third base bar question. And he told us that there are many, many third base bars all across the United States. And the reason they all use that name is because the third base bar, you see, it's the last stop before home. So if you've been out and you've been drinking, and it's usually the kind of thing you do alone. It's not like saying, hey, to your wife, hey, honey, why don't we go out drinking tonight? You know, and uh, in any case, as Gil was pointing out, wherever you've been, it could be one, two, three or four bars. But the point is, when you're on the way home, well, you're not just going to go home. I thought, by the way, the colonel and I thought that was funny right there. This guy's not just going home because that would be crazy. But the point is, you you want to have one more. And so you're going to stop at the third base bar and you, you'll be you're on third base at that bar. And it's the last stop before heading home. And uh, let's be honest, it's probably not one drink. If you think you're stopping in for one, you're probably an idiot. I mean, it's not going to be one drink. It's going to be, even though it's at the end of your night, well, it's going to be two or three drinks, probably. In any case, Gil, thank you. That's a that's a great answer to that, the third base bar question. And uh, my parents have passed on, God bless them, and there's been no, no reason or not too many reasons to get back to my uh my area where I grew up, which is Valley Stream on Long Island. And next time I do, though, I'm going to go in to uh, just drive past, number one, Don and John's third base bar, just to see if it's still there. And if it's still there, I might go in just to say, I know what this means. In any case, thanks, Gil. So let, let, let's get back to... Uh, our boy tenor today, Jim Broderick, asking the musical question: If the shoe fist, if, if if the shoe fits rather, must we wear it? I think it's a terrific question. And uh, Jim, there's a very clean, good answer to it. No, I say no. You must not wear it. You don't need to wear it. You're not being forced to wear it. I still don't know what it means. I think, well, if the shoe fits, wear it. I think maybe it has a, a darker quality to it. Sounds like something from around 1910 or 1920, something like that. I'm just guessing. But, yeah, if the shoe fits, wear it. Why? Why? In other words, if you've made your own bed, lie in it? Is that the same kind of thing? Whatever that means. But, yeah, it sounds like, well... You know what? You 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 made this whole life for yourself and this whole incident coming up, so deal with it. If the shoe fits, must we wear it? No, Jim, we don't need to wear it. And I'm glad you pointed it out. If the shoe fits, you know what? The shoe fits. If the shoe fits... By the way, it reminds me always... 
we didn't deal with shoes in the same way as a country, as a culture. Do you know that around 1890 and 1900, the richest people in our country, and not even billionaires or billionaires, but just very well-to-do people, would hire uh, young immigrant boys to wear their shoes for a week or so to break them in so they didn't hurt the feet of the guy who was buying them. And that's interesting because, wow, if you think about it like that, so shoes were made pretty rough and tough. And shoes were made to be strong and to get through everything. And sometimes, again, there's some of the wealthy people in, the, in America would hire folks to wear their shoes. Now, that doesn't sound that appealing to me because I'm... I'm not even crazy about bowling shoes where, you know, someone has been wearing them a lot, like four guys a day forever. But all right, that's okay, too. But uh, wealthy guys would wear, well, they'd wear their Brooks Brothers shoes or their Allen Edmonds shoes or Church's wingtips or something like that. And these are all good shoes, terrific shoes, but they they would hire someone. And what do you get paid for that, even? What what kind of a job is that? Well, I know I'm wearing uh, Mr. Fitzgibbon's shoes today for uh, another week to break them in. So what does that pay you as the wearer? And I think we can all agree, not much. Whatever it was. And by the way, does he get you socks, too? That's the other thing I'm wondering, you know. Okay, I want you to wear my shoes and break them in. Yes, sir. Now, uh, I also want you to uh, wash your feet and uh, put on foot powder and wear brand new socks before you put them on. To which most of the guys would probably say, gee, I have none of those. I, I, I I don't have any of those. Well, here they are. And I'm taking that out of your salary. So you get all you get now is nine cents for the week. In any case... Good question to Jim Broderick. Good question, a terrific question, a nifty question. If the shoe fits, must we wear it? No, sir, you must not. I love saying and by because it's a good show business cliche. And by so many announcers, I think on radio mostly or on TV too, especially on game shows or, you know, Queen for a Day or something like that. And by... And they would always have a string of sponsors that they would, well, tell all the things about that the sponsors want to be heard. But I thought it was nice and fun that to say it without having said anything before. So, and by Amazon and PayPal and my book and Colonel Jeff's Barracuda Radio. These are all things worth mentioning. Amazon's still the greatest company to me on earth because they do three things no one else does. Number one, whatever you want, they'll send you. Number two, whatever you want, they have. So they can send it to you. And number three, I think the greatest characteristic of any company, they send us, our show, Colonel Jeff and me, a percentage of whatever you order. And that's terrific, and it's fun, and it's good for us, 
and we put that to our next big fancy fried chicken dinner, which is always preceded by two cocktails in a different place first. And I'll tell you all about that. We we have said in the past, I have said that we might, 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 you understand, not definitely, we might call and invite Dr. Chris. We still have uh, good relations with him, although he is enmeshed. He is deeply into his, uh, well, the clog dancing courses that he's taking at the University of Solvang. And uh, this is the height of their season for that. They go all year round. Courses like that, yeah, there's no, he can't ever say, well, but it's it's summertime now. Why do I still need to take the, the, the clog dancing courses? And those are hot. And it's hot here. Well, too bad. That's what you signed up for. That's what you won, in fact. He won that scholarship, didn't he? You betcha. So in any case, we might invite Dr. Chris out to our big fancy fried chicken dinner, which is going to be paid for by the percentages that Amazon sends us from what you order. So thank you, Amazon, and thank you, folks. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. Still the most fun for me to say. It's a great name, PayPal. And you know what? Just dealing with them folks makes you feel like you're saving the world. So give them a try. And yes, yes, if if you like our show... And why wouldn't you? And if you're really loyal to it, and why wouldn't you be? You know what? And you want to send us a few bucks to help out? Of course you do. You can do it through PayPal. And it's good for all of us. That So instead of saying, by the way, I don't like the words like donate or pay what you like. I, I always like to say, you know, uh, buy us some drinks. That's what I like to say. Buy us some drinks. What you do is, you go to your favorite bar, and you walk in in the middle of the day when no one's there, no one's having lunch, no one's having a beer, no one's doing anything. And it's just the bartender with his leg up on the speed rack doing a crossword puzzle. And you walk up to him, and you say, hey, buddy, what do you charge for a drink? And when he tells you what, you, what they get for a drink, the price, you send that to us times two. And that'll be one for Colonel Jeff and one for me. And uh, you know what? Thank you in advance. And, uh, well, to be honest, that brings us to the books and to the Barracuda Radio. These are my books. I've written these and I they published. They did very well and I'm very happy. And signed hardcover copies of my book, and that's called Spoiled Rotten America, are now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And uh, I hope you like it. I know you'll like it. I, I worked very hard on it. And I'm very happy with it. And it's a funny book. So uh, thanks in advance right there. Store.comedyfilmnerds.com And by Barracuda Radio. There's a new episode of Colonel Jeff's podcast, Barracuda Radio. It's an interview with drummer and comedian John Worcester. John is the drummer for Superchunk, the Mountain Goats, and the Bob Mold Band. And he's also half the comedy team, Sharpling and Worcester. Barracuda Radio, by the way, is available on iTunes, Stitcher, or at barracudaradio.com. 
And I'm I'm happy and proud to say that. You know, it's true that, first of all, I know it's going to be good because Colonel Jeff made it. But I'm always happy to say when a friend does something and puts something out, it's always good to say, well, plug it, to say the name, to say, hey, go do this. You'll like it. First of all, I know you'll like it. Second of all, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you make that gesture? And what are you holding back on? Always, sure, support a friend. If a friend of yours says, you know, well, I got a new car, and uh, the, the windows roll down, and they're old hand rollers, and I, and I like it a lot, I'll plug that too. Hey, what a fantastic step back into rolling windows. So in any case, order my book and go listen to Jeff's show on Barracuda Radio. And, by the way, while uh, we're plugging things, I'd like to plug myself. I'm going away back on the mainland, and I'm going to be working with Jerry Seinfeld on two shows, one in Cincinnati and one in Jamestown, New York. And Jamestown, New York is where Lucille Ball is from, and I love thinking that. I was just telling Colonel Jeff before that, well, uh, Jerry and I will be going to see a movie on uh, Saturday before that show, and we'll go get a bite of lunch. But I said, there's got to be a couple of stores there dedicated to Lucille Ball. Doesn't there have to be? I mean, God bless her. She, she was great. And uh, well, so was Desi Arnaz. They were a great couple, and I'm sorry they split up. But I'll tell you something. There's got to be a store there for Lucy, maybe one for Desi, too. But I'm going to buy something for my wife there. She's a huge Lucille Ball fan, and uh, just also for the comedy energy of her. And uh, so I'm going to get something there. Yeah, I'll tell you about it when I come back on our next show. And uh, so thanks. Yeah, I like, see, when Jerry goes out uh, on really nice theaters and goes to do a comedy show, he always calls a friend and says, uh, hey, you know what? Come on along on this one. And, uh, well, it's a good idea. I'm glad he called me for these. And, by the way, as Colonel Jeff reminded me by raising his index finger there, I should tell you that the dates are the 31st Friday in Cincinnati and on the 1st Saturday in Jamestown, New York. I'm going to think of fun, something funny to say there to that audience of Ricky. She was great. So that brings us to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. <laughs> That's always an honest laugh, by the way, for me. I Everything should be honest, I suppose, but uh, and that's true, but especially in comedy. And Colonel Jeff's sound effects always make me laugh. So anyway, here's a good joke that uh, he and I both liked, and we hope you do too. A big Texan walks into an Irish pub in Ireland, and he's a real Texan, and he's big. He's big like only we can make him. He's about 6'4", and he's got the big Texas 10-gallon hat on, and he's got, well, oh, the shirt with the with the mother-of-pearl buttons and the, the two-tone flaps on the shirt pockets, and he's got the cowboy pants and the cowboy boots, and he walks in, and obviously people glance at him, and they don't see a lot of this in Ireland, not in their pub, 
And the guy, without even say, without even waiting for a hello, the guy just, the Texan just roars out, Hello, everyone. This is my first trip to Ireland, and I've always heard you people can drink. And I want to see how much you can drink. So I'll tell you what. I am willing to bet you $500 a person, 500 American dollars a person, if you can drink 10 pints of Guinness in a row, lined right up, 1 to 10, and if you can drink all those down, you get 500 American dollars from me. Now, the place goes silent, and no one says or does anything. A couple of people are shaking their head. They, they they didn't ask this guy to come in. In fact, one guy actually just stands up and leaves. And the Texan says, I guess I thought so. And he sits down at the bar, and he orders himself something to drink. And, uh, well, about ten minutes later, the guy who walked out of the bar comes back in. And he walks up to the Texan, he taps him on the shoulder and says, uh, Excuse me, Boyle, I'm just wondering if your offer still exists on uh, the ten pints of Guinness in a row for $500. And the Texan says, It sure does. Step right up and I'll line them up for you and the, and the barkeep will pour them and, and you can go to work. And sure enough, the barkeep lines them up Pours a good pint, too, but that's a lot of Guinness. Pours ten right in a row, lines them up on the bar right in a row, and everyone's watching, and this fella, don't you know, this fella goes through them like nothing. This fella knocks one back, boom, two, three, not like a race, but he's just, he's going to work, and he can do this. And he finishes all ten, and the Texan says to him, well, how do you like that? God bless you. Well, you just did it, didn't you? And he takes out his money, and he peels off $500, and he hands it to him, and the uh, Irishman says, uh, thank you, thank you. And the Texan then says, say, wait a minute, I'm just curious. I noticed before that you were the one who left here. When I made my offer, you left the bar. Where did you go? And the Irishman says, uh, well, I went down the street. There's another pub there. I just wanted to see if I could do it. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke. I think that is. <laughs> That's a holy mackerel joke of holy mackerel. So you mean you just, that's an ability to drink, to go first just try it out for 10, 10 pints and then say, yeah, I can do that. And then you walk back in the bar on a $500 bet that you can do it again. So anyway, that's a pretty good joke. I remembered, by the way, and I'm just going to tell you this. I've told it before on the show, but it reminded me of, of this one. It's a good joke, too, that in uh, New York City, uh, whoa, a whole, a whole detachment of firemen goes to a bar that's on fire and it's a it's a well-known irish bar but it's oh boy that thing is burning down there there are flames shooting out of the walls and the ceiling and it's it's in bad shape and that thing is burning and the firemen all 
go in and go do their jobs and they start to put it out and they look around. They, they find an old man on the floor and they get a stretcher right in there and they get the old man out of there and the captain of the fireman walks up to the old man just before they put him in the ambulance and he says, uh, Mr. Murphy, I'm, I'm just wondering, do you, do you happen to know what time the fire started? And Murphy says, how the hell should I know? It was on fire when I went in. <laughs> that reminded me of that joke too. That holy mackerel! This is this is this is not a community of Eskimos. These folks can drink. So anyway, I hope you like that one. The Texan, the Texan in an Irish pub. And that brings us to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. Boy. Boy. That was a good one. I think that guy coughs like the older man, Mr. Murphy, did when they carried him out of that bar. And Murphy had to be about 95 years old. In any case, this is a good poem, and the colonel and I both liked it. It's called A Wish, a poem by Matthew Arnold, who was a well-known great poet in the 19th century. And it was 1822 to 1888. And uh, so I'm glad he wrote this one, and here it is. It's called A Wish. I ask not that my bed of death from bands of greedy heirs be free, for these besiege the latest breath of fortune's favored sons, not me. I ask not each kind soul to keep tearless when of my death he hears. Let those who will, if any, weep. There are worse plagues on earth than tears." I ask but that my death may find the freedom to my life denied. Ask but the folly of mankind, then, at last, to quit my side. Spare me the whispering crowded room, the friends who come and gape and go, the ceremonious air of gloom, all of which makes death a hideous show. Nor bring to see me cease to live some doctor full of phrase and fame to shake his sapient head and give the ill he cannot cure a name. Nor fetch to take the accustomed toll of the poor sinner bound for death his brother doctor of the soul to canvas with official breath. The future and its viewless things, that undiscovered mystery which one who feels death's winnowing wings must need read clearer, sure, than he. Bring none of these, but let me be, while all around in silence lies, moved to the window near, and see once more before my dying eyes, bathed 
in the sacred dew of morn, the wide aerial landscape spread, the world which was ere I was born, the world which lasts when I am dead, which never was the friend of one, nor promised love it could not give, but lit for all its generous sun, and lived itself, and made us live. There let me gaze till I become in soul with what I gaze on wed, to feel the universe my home, to have before my mind instead of the sick room, the mortal strife, the turmoil for a little breath, the pure eternal course of life, not human combatings with death. Thus feeling, gazing, let me grow, composed, refreshed, ennobled, clear, then willing let my spirit go to work or wait elsewhere or here. Good. Isn't that a lovely poem? Good for this man. Matthew Arnold. Thanks, pal. I'm glad we brought it to the show. I hope you folks liked it. And now that brings us to, well, my third favorite part of the show. MMM. Triple M. Three M's. Magic Movie Moment. That's right, folks. Something I enjoy so much, and I hope you do too, that in every movie you like, and even some movies you don't like that much, but there's often, oh, one actor, or one scene, or one setting, or one speech, and it just makes the movie alive for you, and you look forward to it each time you see it. And that's what, in my words, is, becomes for us a magic movie moment. And this time, it's a great movie, and the start of seven movies like this. The Thin Man, from 1934, starring William Powell, Myrna Loy, and so many others. Good Lord, the whole Thin Man series, and there were seven of them, and the first, the names get a little silly. The, the Thin Man was the first one, and I think the second one is The Thin Man Again, and the third one is More Thin Man, or something It's just you want to say, come on, we can come up with something better than that, can't we? But you know what? It all works the same, because they're terrific movies, and they're fun, and they give a look at, well, how tough we were and how romantic we were. William Powell and Myrna Loy as the great characters Nick and Nora Charles. And they love each other, but they're fun with each other, and they're funny with each other, and they're not afraid of turning and whispering something to each other. And they're romantic, but you know what? They come to New York to New York City in 1934 as part of this movie. That's what they did. That was the, what the characters did. They went there for Christmas. It was, in, uh, it was in December. And you know what? There's a murder there that Nora, his wife, keeps pushing Nick to get into, to get involved in, to figure out, to solve, 
because Nick is an ex-detective, and Nora comes from a very wealthy family. It's a very charming couple, and he doesn't want to do it, but of course he does. And you know what? It's a charming movie. And the magic movie moment for me in this is one of those moments that's more than a moment. It's part of the movie. It's part of the characters. It's part of the plot. Remember something, in 1934, first of all, it has to do with liquor, with alcohol. And remember that in 1934, folks, that was just a half hour after Prohibition was repealed. Now, that's true, as you all know and I know, and Colonel Jeff knows, sure, there were a lot of speakeasies and a lot of illegal liquor going around. And in fact, I remember reading once that Good Lord, in New York City alone, there were more speakeasies than there were bars when it was legal. But far more. Three, four, five times as many illegal speakeasies. Boy, some of them were just charming, too. In fact, my wife and I were lucky enough to go to 21, the 21 Club. Uh, Oh, I guess about 10 times over the years, whenever we went to New York. And it's a wonderful restaurant, but folks, what a great history it has. It started as a speakeasy, and I think the fellows' names were Jack and Roy or something, the owners there, and uh, they would dress as, uh, one would dress as an American cowboy. He went like that last joke. He'd have the, uh, you know, the, the, the white and, and, and black cowboy shirts and the pockets and the frills. But no one ever said to him, hey, by the way, that's kind of a ridiculous outfit. It would it would not have been a good idea to say that to him because that would have been your last night in 21 or anywhere. But you know what? It's a great club. They made such a fabulous place. And it's still in the place of all things where it was all those years ago. And, oh, A lot of the gangsters would always come there because they wanted to take over the place. And they they wouldn't let them, and they were tough enough to hold on to it. And boy, oh boy, the whole concept of a speakeasy, to walk in, to knock on the door, and have someone open the little flap and say the right words. I remember remember when I was at the comic strip in New York, and we were all baby comics, and uh, one, one of my friends... From there, Bells, Peter Bells and I decided we had heard one of the other folks had told us about an after hours place that was open, so it was a bar, but it was like it was a gambling joint too, not huge, but you know they'd have a couple of tables of blackjack and it was it was like something from a movie, you know, the kind of movie where things don't work don't work out that well. But we did this, and we got, they said, just tell them Joe sent you. And uh, we did. We went there one night after all the shows, so it was already about two in the morning. We said, let's go to this place. And we did. We, we, it was just a dark door on a dark street in Manhattan. And we went over there. We both shrugged. And I reached out and knocked on the door, and the little flap opened. And the guy said, yeah. And I said, Joe sent us. And this guy said, oh, yeah? Well, I'm Joe. And he just closed the door, the little flap. That was it. That 
you know, and we weren't looking to do anything. It's just you didn't want any extra money. We were looking to buy a couple of drinks and I don't know, wouldn't, you know, maybe gamble, but, you know, we wanted to go in. And by the way, we we felt like two idiots standing there. And then, you know, four more people came in, two couples sort of on a date. And uh, so we just, you know, politely stood aside and they walked up and they knocked on the door. And the same guy did. The same guy opened the flap. And these people said, yeah, Joe sent us. And he said, come on in. And then he opened the door. They went in and... He closed the door a little hard. It was kind of a slam <laughs> to us, slam-o, and closed the flap, and that was it. So we didn't go to this club, but which is just as well. But there you are, another look at <laughs> another look at illegal bars. But folks, I'm telling you, from 1934, the thin man and the way they talk about liquor and the way they live with liquor. Remember, it was, prohibition had just been turned off and liquor was legal again so this was a big thing they were funny with it they were funny with oh the way they ordered drinks or the way they made them in their house when the police would come to ask if nick had discovered any information and uh, he would say to his wife well no darling it doesn't look like we're getting to sleep right away how about another pitcher of martinis and even though you might have been nine years old then just thinking, wow, yeah, great. You know, they were very, very cool with it and very sophisticated with it and very legal with it. And I always thought and still think it was a great moment for a great couple like that to become so popular in movies, to make seven Thin Man movies and to always have in them scenes or moments, or attitudes where they would deal with uh, with liquor in such a funny way, and they could always drink a lot, and uh, so they would always do that when they went out. They would uh, do you uh, do you fo- do you folks make martinis here? And they said, "Oh yes, sir, yes we do." I said, "Well, make them well, please. We haven't had one in ten minutes." But it every way they did it was so cool. And that's the magic movie moment for me this week. See The Thin Man. If you haven't seen it before, you'll like it. You'll get a kick out of it. William Powell and Myrna Loy are a great couple on the screen, and they were very good stars, big stars at the time in 1934 America when a lot of people were just learning again how to go to legal bars. And uh, and so, boy, yeah, The Thin Man. If you've seen it a hundred times, see it again. If you haven't seen it, see it first. Do it now. And, uh, you know, it, it it's funny. Sometimes restaurants, this happened to me just a few days ago, but sometimes even a small little coffee shop dinette can make you feel like you're, well, you're treading on someone's territory there. I went to see a doctor for the first time, a medical doctor. You always have to say that these days, I suppose. You know, what kind of doctor? Was You mean he was a doctor of philosophy? No, no, he was a doctor. He was a well-known doctor. And uh, this was in Century City, which is a nice area in Los Angeles there. Uh, 
and I went to see him. And well, we had a, we had a great checkup and a great way to meet. And uh, I think it's going to be very useful for both of us. And the point is, as I left, so this is a well, this is a Monday afternoon, and it's about a quarter to five now in the afternoon. And I went down to get the car, which was on parking level one, but I stopped in the lobby because I knew they had a place there to get a cold Coke. And that's what I wanted, a cold Coke, an ice-cold Coke, which makes me very happy. And I know, I know, I just left the doctor, and, well, you're not supposed to drink Coke, and you're not supposed to do all sorts of things. And I take that seriously, too. And, uh, you know, God willing, I'm going to make myself 100%. And that's going to avoid drinking a lot of Coke or any Coke. But I wanted one. I wanted one for my last round. Yes, true, I had just left the doctor who told me not to, but I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to be a good patient. But I wanted a Coke right then. It's quarter to five, rush hour, and I was about to get back in the car and go over the hill. So I go downstairs right in the lobby there, right next to the fellows who greet you without ever actually greeting anyone. They sit there. And one of you is dead. It could be them, but it could be you. But the point is, I walked uh, past him, and there was a pharmacy there with a cooler that had Coca-Cola in it and a bunch of other things. They had uh, orange soda and all sorts of things, but I wanted a Coke. And I took a can out of there, and I reached for another can. They weren't cold. They were, well, kind of uncold, kind of almost warm. But I didn't care, and I took the can up to the counter. There was a very nice young woman there. And I said, as I was paying for it, I said, do you have uh, big cups, paper or plastic, but big ones with a lot of ice so I can really ice this thing down? And she said, uh, no, I'm sorry we don't. Uh, no. And I said, all right, you know, because that's the way it goes, folks, of course. And uh, as I paid her, she said to me, you know what? The coffee shop right next door has cups and ice just like that. I think just like the ones you want. And I said, oh, all right. Well, thank you. I didn't, I was thinking that, well, why, why did I get one here then? You know, I could have gone there. But I did that. I paid her and smiled and she smiled and I, and I headed out. And right next to it, of course, on the other side of the old man who would never look up if it killed him, on the other side... There was a small dinette coffee shop. I don't know what the names are even that we should use anymore. And it's remember, it's quarter to five. And on a Monday afternoon, it's rush hour. And it's empty. There's not a soul there except the two folks who work there. And I walked in and there are four small tables there, four, four two tops, as we in the bar business always said. And... I walked in with my can of Coke and I walked up to the counter and I never feel good about just saying, hi, could I uh, please have one of your cups and some ice? Uh, this is their business and, well, it just, just doesn't seem the most polite thing to do. So I've, I always look to buy something and I looked up at the menu and there's, as I said, no one in there and I, well, it's more like regular meals for lunch or early dinner or something, but I said uh, to the woman uh, by the register there, I said, 
Yes, may I uh, please have... Oh, and I just picked the first thing up on the menu above the counter. I just said, yes, let me please have a chicken garlic wrap. And, you know, they wrap it up there. And uh, she looks at me. She was uh, an, an Asian, I think, Chinese woman. And not a kid. She was 75 or 80 years old. And I asked for that. And she says to me, Something, folks, I'm telling you, I couldn't understand a word she said. But when I tell you that, I mean not a word. I'm an actor. I, I'm a voice actor as well. I can, you know, I love all performing. I think I understand almost every, I can do every accent in the world. And she says to me something that, I'm telling you not a syllable was recognizable sometimes as you know if you if you catch a syllable you know it helps you out if 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 you're looking for thousand island dressing one of those words is going to sound familiar when she says it right either thousand or island or dressing you're going to hear one of those words and go yes thousand island dressing yes i'll have that please I don't want it, but you're going to take it because at least she understood it and you understood her. Nothing. There was nothing like that here. I said, uh, may I please have a, a chicken garlic roll? And uh, she says something. Uh, it took about five seconds for her to speak, and I'm telling you nothing. And then, remember, there's no one in there. It's empty. And her colleague is the guy at the grill just about four feet away. And his back is to me, and he's waiting for the order so he can make it. And she says to me something that I can't understand, and then she just stops and looks at me. She said what she had to say, and now in the empty place, with my warm can of Coke in my hand, she says something, and I, and I just look back, and, you know, you start to think, uh-oh, oh, okay, and I just said again, there's about 10 seconds of silence between us. And that's a long time. And I decided to just try it again. And I just smiled, my best smile, and, you know, pointed up to the sign. I just said, may I please have a garlic chicken where you roll it up there? Whatever that is, the garlic chicken one. And she says again, now louder, and now a little angry. She says the same thing she said I, I, I can't even do an, an, an accent with it. I can't even in, in, interpret it. It was so impossible to understand. She says, same thing, but loud and angry. Remember, there's no one in there. Now, another pause. 12 seconds. And I I don't know what to do. And I, except try again. So I tried it again. I just said, same smile as, please, may I please have? And by the way, I was tempted to say to her, I just came in for a cup and some ice, okay? Your place is empty, and I wanted to order something. So please. But I didn't. I just smiled again and said, may I please have the chicken garlic and the rolled up thing? She says, again, louder even. She's so angry, and there's no one there. And I'm not a baby. I can take this well. And then she turns to her colleague. And he, by the way, he is not Chinese. He looks some kind of South American or Central American. And 
He doesn't quite even turn around. And she says to him in the same accent, and he says to her in a different accent, but also impossible to understand. It's something Spanish, but impossible. I'm telling the, the, the interview to get one of these jobs at that place must be, can anyone ever understand you? No. All right, you're hired. This guy says to her, the same way, oh, the same, different language, different accent, different understandable. It's not, you can't catch a word. He says, but loud again. He's getting angry like she is. And he's, and she looks back at me with, you know, that expression on her face of, well, is that good enough for you? You know, without saying that. And she's got her hands on her side now, arms akimbo. And I said, are all right. And she said, pointed to the sign and just, ah, 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 ah. And I said, all right, um, <clears throat> I'm, I, I just looked to the second item on the list, which is, oh, whatever the heck it was. It was something with fish also rolled up in a little roll flap. I just said, may I, may I please have that one? The number two choice. The fish on the thing. Folks, again, now twice as long, not five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. She berates me with anger and ah, ah, and volume. There's no one in there. Why is she yelling? And she's yelling. And she says to the guy, she doesn't ask, you know, hold up a finger, say one section. She turns to the guy again and goes, he also, again, even louder and angrier. And so then she turns back to me, still angry. She's, she's, you know, just puffing steam out. And I'm telling you, then I thought, said, do you have, I'm starting to mumble now. And I'm not the kind who gets scared. I said, do you have the fish or the chicken or anything like that? And now she says something that made me laugh. She just shouts, no. Just one no. No. I thought, oh, well, she can say no then at least. All right, now I realize, all right. I said, okay. And I smiled. I held my finger up one, one second. I looked back up at the menu. I said, all right. I figured I might as well go in order. So I ordered the third one, which is whatever it is. It's cheese and something. And in a he rolled up. I ordered that. May I have that, please? Same, same thing. She says, no. And I'm assuming that means that they don't. They're out. And then she turns to the guy. Hey, over there. And says it again. And now he says, no. And I'm telling you, I'm close to saying, I just wanted a cup with ice. And I said, I tried a couple more. No. And he's, No. And remember, now it's five o'clock. This is taking a long time. And I said, all right. And I'm breathing hard because it's a fight. And I said, what do you have? Can you, and I'm using every pantomime I have. I'm holding one hand up to the menu and I'm holding them out. Then I'm smiling. Then I'm saying, do you have, what do you have? What can you make that you have now? And I'm, you know, holding hands up, you know, putting them on my face saying, oh, I'm so worried that I can't get something to eat here where I only wanted a cup and ice. 
And I so using every gesture I can, I said, I do, do you have anything? And then pointing at her with both hands. Do you have anything? Tell me what you want. Tell me what you have. And then she says, uh, she gets what I was getting at. And now she says, well, we have, without saying, well, we have. She just says, uh, describes a thing I can't understand. Okay, she says, now she's happy, though, because she has whatever they have. I'm telling you I couldn't understand a word of it again, but I'm I'm stupid, but I'm not crazy. So now when she finished, I just said, yes, and smiled and nodded my head vigorously. Thank you. Yes, I'll take that. Yes, please. And now she says to her colleague, again, ah, 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 describe whatever it was that I couldn't understand. And he says back to her, ah, 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 ah. and now... I said, thank you. And then, by the way, then I said to her, may I have a cup of yours? She's standing, by the way, between stacks of cups. There have to be 800 cups all around her there. And she says, she just, you know, nods. And I, and I took it with my hand, a large cup. And she gestured over at the soda machine I already saw, which is the one where you push the cup in. And you can get ice right out of the center. And I did that. I filled it with ice. And I went back to my table and filled, took my now hot Coke and filled the cup. And she left. She headed out. I paid her, of course, and it was tax included. It was thirteen eighty two. Why? I don't know. I don't care. It's more than I want. It's like any place. Thirteen eighty two, including tax. For what? Uh, for, uh, I didn't even know what she suggested. I didn't even know what I ordered. But she leaves now. She opens the little flap that closes the counter there, and she leaves and heads right out the door. She leaves. Doesn't say hello, goodbye to anyone, to him, no one. She leaves. Apparently, she had a language class to teach and for new arrivals, and she's gone. Now it's the guy making this thing, and I'm having, I sit down at one of the two tops to have a couple of sips of Coke, and... He finally, well, finally, it's about seven, eight minutes it takes him to make whatever the thing is. And he say, he calls me over. Again, no English words, but it sounds like, uh, and he's holding one of those white plastic foam, styrofoam things that they case they, they, the flap closes, it hooks in, and he holds it up. I was, okay, fine. I get up, I go over there, and I reach for it, and he pulls it back. He pulls the food in the container he just made back away from me, away from my hand, and then asks me a question that, remember, I can't understand. He says, and I did, once again, now it's another one behind, next to the register. I can't understand. So after five or ten seconds, I just reached out again to, for the food. That's the only thing I could think of to do. And he pulls it back again and says louder and angrier again, saying, and I, 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 that's when I said out loud, I just came in for a cup and some ice. But he doesn't know what that means. I don't know what he means. And now he says again, and folks, I did. Maybe you would have done this. I know this has all happened to you that you knew I decided to answer a question I had answered 
many times before in all fast food and dinette type places. After a long silence, I just looked at him and took a chance and said, Here! I'll eat it here! You don't have to wrap it. I'll eat here. And this was a great victory for him. Oh! Oh! So now he's happy. And he takes a few napkins and a plastic fork, puts them on top. Wasn't wearing gloves, by the way. Not clean hands, but that's all right. He takes it now and he hands it over to me. And I said, all right. I'm normally very polite. I didn't even say thank you. I just... All right, yeah, 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 yeah. And I took it back to the table, and now he leaves. The guy leaves. This is a business that's still open. I'm the evidence of that. I have a Coke and a large paper cup in front of me, and this thing, I opened it up, and now he, the same way, just walks out the door, walks out. Right after her, maybe he had a language class to teach, too. They're both gone now, folks. And I I didn't know what to... I just opened up the food box, and sure, there was this thing that cut in half, and it was a spinach roll around some... I could see turkey slices and crushed bacon, which is fine, terrific. I don't eat bacon, but there you are. I wasn't going to say, you know... Could you make it without the bacon? I didn't even know what they said. And I think there was guacamole in it, too. Folks, first of all, I'm here to tell you it was very good. Because life is just crazy anyway. That's how good this roll was. And I was on a roll, so to speak. But, I mean, that's how good it was. And I I wasn't hungry. Now it's 5.15. And I took a bite. And how do you like that? It's pretty good. And I finished my soda and had another bite or two of the half of the roll I was eating. But I wanted more Coke, and then I realized, the place is empty. So I just looked back at the soda machine, looked around, there's no one there. So I got up, walked over there, filled it with ice again, and filled it with Coke again. Is that stealing? Tough. Too bad. I think I paid for that, not only in the 1382 but in the playlet we did, just trying to get by and be human together, or at least I was trying, and folks, I'm telling you, there was, so I took another sip of that. I didn't even want any more of the roll, and I I needed a napkin because he, he gave me one napkin there, and that had some kind of bacon sauce on it now, and so I just looked, and behind the counter, next to the register, on the other side of the cups, there's a big stack of napkins there. So once again, you look around. Why do we look around? I don't know why. I swear I don't know why. You look around. There's no one in the kitchen. There's no back there. There's just the grill that is still on, by the way. And no one in there. The guy's gone. The woman's gone. So I just stood up, walked through the counter, walked on the other side, and got a couple of napkins there. And, of course, at that second, two more customers walk in. And I'm behind the counter. And I smiled at them and said, Oh, uh, uh, this this looks like... I See, I don't work here. The people who work here 
are off teaching language classes. I did. I actually said that, and I said, but I'm uh, I'm not working here, so I'm just going to finish my coke, and uh, and then just I'm sure it's just uh, another minute, and they'll be right back here. And folks, they spoke to me with the same accents, so now I'm behind the counter and I'm speaking well regular. And they're speaking in the same thing. Just It's a brick wall. There is nothing happening there. And I almost wanted to say, you, you must be in the same family as one of these people. But I didn't say that. I said, please, sit down. Just wait. They'll be right here. I was ready to leave anyway. I picked up the cup of Coke. I closed the sandwich box, which I didn't want in the first place. I threw that out. I walked out with the Coke. And I just said to them, by the way... Good luck. And that was that was my story for Monday afternoon. Now it's 5.25, the heart of rush hour. But that's fine, too. And it just shows you again how every single, well, every single moment in life, everything we do can be a story that we can tell others, especially when it doesn't quite work out. And this one, well, didn't quite work out. I felt like, can you imagine? I was because I took the ice and the and the and, and some some coke from the machine there. I felt like you know it was like a Clint Eastwood movie, like I was outlaw Larry Miller. That's right. I'm the story of trying to get a cold coke, which I shouldn't be having anyway. And while I was sitting at the table, drinking the Coke with the can in front of me and eating the sandwich, two people walked by in the lobby outside the coffee shop in medical gear. And folks, I could have sworn it was the same doctor and nurse I had just seen. But they're leaving. They're going home. And I'm just trying to catch my breath from having tried to order a cup and some ice. Well, that's fine. I'm on a diet now, and I'm with a good doctor. But when I go back there, I know I'm going to go back again into this shop just to see if there's someone else there, if someone speaks English. But folks, that was pretty funny. It was beyond hard to understand. It was just not possible. So I know that, and you know that. But we all know the names. We we know the same things anyway. Homer is Homer. Pluto is is a planet, and remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing in the world. I'll see you here next week, and bring your own cups and ice. <laughs>